The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I have a good problem this morning in that it seems like there's more scriptures running through my mind than I'll be able to get to. And the reason I refer to that as a problem is because uh, we want to present the Word of God in an orderly fashion and go to the scriptures that would be uh, most appropriate for what we're trying to get across to you. Uh, We could just quote a lot of scripture and be of very little value to you, or we could pray that the Lord would help us to put a portion of those scriptures together in a sensible and logical way. I want to look today at a portion of scripture found in the Gospel of John chapter 10, The second part of that verse, Jesus says, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I want to speak to you today on the abundant life for the child of God. Now, in order to appreciate the meaning of this verse, uh, we need to understand the fundamentals of the doctrines of grace. The first part of it says, Jesus says, I have come that they might have life. Now, the scripture says that the gift of God is eternal life. Jesus said, uh, he that liveth and believeth in me shall never die. So the child of God, having been born of the spirit, once they die a physical death, their spirit lives on. So in that sense of the word, uh, he that liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Now when you think about eternal life, uh, there's at least two things that are descriptive of it. One of them refers to the duration of it. That is that it is forever. It is endless. But also it refers to a quality of life. Now, when God's children get to heaven, they will enjoy not only eternal life, but they will also enjoy a perfect quality of life. And that's something that we don't uh, control, and thanks be to God that we don't. Because Jesus saved us from our sins, and the reason heaven will be perfect is because all of our salvation is of him and not of us. The apostle Paul said that it is of him that God hath made of him. uh, uh, I can't quite get it. Let me turn to that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the apostle Paul here is speaking. uh, It says, But of God are ye in him, Man, I just lost it completely. 1 Corinthians 1.30 But of him are you in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So he's all of our salvation. He's our only hope. So John says here, or rather Jesus is recorded by John as saying in chapter 10, verse 10, that I am come that they might have life. 
And we believe that we have that life because of what Jesus did. But the second part of that verse, he says, I'm come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. So here he's speaking of the quality of our spiritual life while we live here in this world. We do affect the quality of our spiritual life. We have a large impact upon it. You know, we can, through extreme disobedience, lose everything worth having this side of heaven. So uh, the abundant life is the life the child of God should strive for. So I want us to look at some of the things, or one principle in particular, that will help us enjoy that abundant life. In Matthew chapter uh, 16 and verse 24. Matthew 16 and 24. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Now the subject under consideration here is not eternal life specifically. The subject under consideration here is the abundant life. The subject under consideration here is not so much the duration of spiritual life, but rather the quality of spiritual life. And the lesson that Jesus teaches here runs completely contrary, I believe more than any other scripture I can think of, as to how the world thinks about this matter. I mean, it is completely backwards compared to how the world thinks. Now, first of all, Jesus says, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. In Luke's account of this, in chapter 9, verse 23, he adds the word daily. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So this is not like baptism. This is not a one-time thing. This is a lifelong struggle to, to enter into and enjoy the abundant life that is available to the child of God while he lives here in this world. So Jesus then says, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it. Now, this uh, lesson is taught in all four of the Gospels. So it, it must be Uh, important, if that's the case. Now, the way I define the term save here is by looking at the other accounts and seeing if they use different words. Now, we're not going to turn to those, but the words I'm going to give you 
for the definition are the words that the other gospel writers used in place of the word save. Now the word save there, according to other gospel writers, means to find or preserve. Jesus says, whosoever will save his life, whosoever will find his life, whosoever will preserve his life, he says, he shall lose it. That is strange language, isn't it? If you try to find yourself, you remember when you would hear, I don't know if people still say it today, but I remember when I was growing up, people would say that you need to go and find yourself. Well, the problem is when you find yourself, you haven't found anything that's worth finding. You know, and I remember there was a, um, there was a Clint Black song that says, I'm going to, I'm going to wait until my ship comes in and and go out and find myself again. Something to that effect. You know, and that's the mindset people have that in order to uh, find the meaning and purpose of my life, I've got to go out and discover it myself. But yet Jesus says here, the person that tries to save his life, to find himself, to preserve his life, will lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find him. Now, what does he mean by that? He means that if you heed his instruction in Matthew 6.33, which says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. If you heed that instruction, you will find the real meaning and purpose of life. I remember when I graduated from college, I could have went in two directions because I started preaching about the same time that I graduated from college. And I remember going for some interviews along that time and the place where I went for interviews, the other guys that worked there, they all had new Corvettes. You know, they weren't married and they began making good money right out of college. You know, that, that was appealing to the flesh. That I can take this job and just have anything I want and enjoy the material things of this world. I could have went that way. But I'm thankful that I, I've tried to follow God's providential leadership. Amen. Now I want to tell you young people something. Here's two verses, and I, I'm sorry I can't, Uh, tell you where they are right now because like I said verses are coming to my mind faster than I can refer to them but uh, there's there's one verse where I believe David said uh, the lines have fallen unto me in pleasant places you look that up when you get home the lines have fallen unto me in pleasant places that means that God has providentially placed me in a good place. This, this is of the Lord. This is not of my making. This is not because I went out and tried to find myself. This is of the Lord, and I'm in a good place. He also says in another place that thou hast given me the heritage of them that fear thy name. 
What a wonderful heritage to have. The heritage of them that fear the Lord's name. There's nothing better than that. You'll go out there and try to find yourself. You say, here's what I'm decided that I am going to do. And you don't consult the Lord about it. You're going to go out there and find that, all right. But you're going to lose the real joy and meaning of life. But if you'll lose yourself for the kingdom of heaven's sake, you will find a sense of satisfaction that you will not find when you say, God, here's what I want to do. Now bless it to happen. That's not the way it works. The question Paul asked when the Lord threw him down on the road to Damascus, the first question he asked, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And that's a wonderful attitude for the child of God. He goes on to say, verse 26, For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Now again, keep in mind, this is not addressing whether or not you're going to heaven. This is not talking about you losing your soul in the sense that you now have lost your home in heaven. This has to do with the abundant life. This has to do with what Jesus said when he said, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for broad is the way, and wide is the gate that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. If that's eternal heaven, there's only going to be a few people in heaven. And we know the Bible doesn't teach that. Jesus speaking here about uh, the, the quality of our life here in this world, and he says, what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? I think it seems like I think about this principle most often when I look at the politicians in Washington. That's right. You know, to be a senator is to be in a very powerful position. But when I see men that are 70 years old that have totally compromised themselves, they have no integrity, they have no backbone, they've totally sold out to some self-interest. I always ask the question, do they not think that, hey, I only got about 10 or 20 years left? That's what I always think. But I found the answer this morning when I was reading as to why they don't think that way. But that's the way I think. I remember when Senator Ted Kennedy died. You know, he was as liberal as they get. He was for abortion and all these different things. And he was that way till the day he died. And I thought, how can you be that way? How can you think that way? How can you still be so selfish when you know that you only have a little time left? And he's just one of many that could be named. So he says... What is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Now that sounds strange, doesn't it? In other words, I can can buy my soul back. How do you buy your soul back? Well, the book of Proverbs says, He that winneth souls 
is wise. And just because the religious world has misapplied that doesn't mean that we shouldn't preach on it. We should preach on it even more because they have misapplied it. To win a soul is defined by James this way. He that converteth a sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. That's what we want to do. That's the soul saving business we're in is converting sinners from the error of their way. And he says here, what will a man give in exchange for his soul? You know, whatever your pursuit is in life, whatever your career is, you can approach it two ways. You can say, I'm going to do whatever it takes for me to get ahead and make more money. You can approach it that way. And the result is you're going to lose your soul. One of the prophets talked about when God's people were walking in disobedience to him, he said, I will give them their request and I will send them leanness of soul. You know what leanness of soul is? It's the way you have felt before when you did something you knew was wrong and you felt God's chastening right upon you and he withdrew his presence and you could not rest. You found no joy in life. That's what it means to lose your soul. He says, what will you give in exchange for your soul? The other way you could approach your career is this. is to say, I'm going to do what pleases God no matter what. Amen. Yeah. And you know what? You might get fired. Right. But you're going to drive away from the office after you're fired, shedding tears of joy Amen. because you feel the Lord's presence. I've, I've experienced that, not because I got fired, but I was kicked out of an interview one time because I'm, I said I wouldn't work on Sunday. I was kicked out, and I drove away crying, but it wasn't cry. It was tears of of peace and joy in the Lord. Because I felt like I, this, I'm being persecuted for the gospel's right. sake. So see, what will you give in exchange for your soul? Then notice in John chapter 12. Let's go to Mark chapter 8 first. Mark chapter 8. And notice he adds something here. Chapter 8, verse 35. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. And notice what he adds here. Whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels. Did you know that as a believer of the truth, of salvation by grace, that you're in a, a, a position of greater criticism than one that just strives to live a godly life, but yet they don't understand the truth of salvation by grace. You may say, well, brother, buddy, how can that be? Well, turn to Galatians chapter 5, Galatians chapter 5 and verse 11. Paul says, And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross 
ceased. Now let's bring that up to, to our culture today. Paul is essentially saying, brethren, if I preach that you have to do something to get saved, yeah. then is the offense of the cross ceased. Right. See, people aren't offended by a gospel that says, well, it's God loves you, but it's your choice. Yeah. You know, that puts you in control. Right. That's the way man wants to be. That doesn't offend people. Paul says, if I preach that you've got to be circumcised to be saved, or if we preach today, you've got to do this or do that to be saved. Paul said that takes away the offense of the cross. Right. <clears throat> Have you ever had someone get mad at you when they found out, you mean you don't believe you do anything to get saved? They don't like that. You know why? Because it takes them out of control, out of the picture. There's no pride. They have to give all the credit to God. And man's flesh doesn't like that. Now notice he says in uh, chapter 6 and verse 14, But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. Paul says when I preach the true gospel, he says the world's dead to me, and I'm dead to them. He says they don't have any use for me, and I don't have any use for them. That's the offense of the cross. And if we preach that you have to do something to be saved, it removes the offense of the cross. So that's what Jesus had under consideration when he says, if any man will lose himself for my sake, and for the Gospels, yeah. the same shall find it. Now, each of you here today, think about this. Would you give up what you're enjoying here at Zion Church in order to be approved of by everybody in the community? I wouldn't do that, would you? But there's some of God's children that are in that position. They allow those things to influence them, and they're trying to save their life, and they lose it. Now, look at Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17 and verse 32 is the second shortest verse in the Bible. Remember Lot's wife. You know, the shortest verse is Jesus wept. This is the second shortest, or at least it ties for second place because it's just one word more. Remember Lot's wife. Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it. And whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. Notice here he doesn't use the word uh, save it or find it. He uses the word preserve it. And I believe based on the context there's a reason for that. Now, first of all, keep in mind that it has been about 1,900 years since Lot's wife was turned into a pillar of salt. And Jesus is not not saying here, now I want y'all to try to remember this. He's not saying that. He's saying, remember Lot's wife? Yeah. Something they already had on their mind. Yeah. You know, people will say that to you. Well, you remember last year, the winning pass in the game? You already know that. He's not bringing it up to you. Jesus said, remember Lot's wife? Right, right. That had been handed down from generation to generation. 
You know, many years, for hundreds of years, maybe thousands, but at least for hundreds of years after the flood, they have found places all over the world where people talked about a great flood. For hundreds of years. Well, in like manner, for I'm sure for hundreds of years, they talked about Lot's wife. In Genesis chapter 19 and verse 26, you see what, what happened to Lot's wife. They, they were coming out of Sodom and Gomorrah, which was being destroyed with fire and brimstone. And it says in Genesis 19:26, but his wife looked back from behind him and she became a pillar of salt. Now I'd like to do some more study on that, but I imagine uh, a pillar of salt is something that is durable that would remain there like a statue for a long time and it says that she looked back and the idea there is not just that she turned her head but the idea is she there was some feeling behind that she gazed back with desire and it said, Jesus says, remember Lot's wife. He says, uh, whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it. Is she not the ultimate example of that? She looked back at the, the, the world that she had been in and all the things that the world had to offer. And it's, it's, it's ironic to me that Jesus said, if you lose your life, you'll preserve it. Well, you know what? Lot's wife was preserved, wasn't she? Yeah. She was preserved as a testimony for those that would live afterwards of what the consequence is when you try to find your life. When you say, I'm going to figure out what will make me happy and I'm going to do that, that's when you're going to lose it. And Lot's wife is the ultimate example of that. Now look at John chapter... Three. John chapter, excuse me, I mean John chapter 12. John chapter 12 and verse 25. He that loveth his life shall lose it. And he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. Now that steps it up a notch, doesn't it? Can it be said of you that you hate your life in this world? I don't know if that can be said of me most of the time or even part of the time. Aren't we guilty of being too attached to this world? You know, he says, he that, uh, he that loveth his life shall lose it. You want to find some of the most uh, unhappy people? Go to Hollywood. Amen. You'll find people that they're like Solomon. They have the best the world can offer. Riches, fame, all these things, but they can't even stay married to the same person because they themselves are so unhappy with themselves. Right. 
And they marry somebody the same way, especially if you know if one movie star marries another, it doesn't last. They, they don't have that inward sense of strength and contentment and peace. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it. That word keep means guard it unto life eternal. Now notice that doesn't say into life eternal. It says unto. That's right. See, once... once once your life in heaven begins, the quality of the joy of the salvation you have in Christ is not influenced by your behavior. Amen. First of all, we know we're not going to be misbehaving in heaven because we're going to be rid of this old natural man. But the point is that we are to strive and we need to strive to preserve our life unto life eternal. Yeah. You know, there are children of God that have lost their soul in this world. Amen. You know, they're, they're hollow, they're empty. You know, I believe a great number of the people that commit suicide are children of God. Right. You know, isn't it ironic that people say, oh, if you commit suicide, you won't go to heaven because you don't have time to repent. I believe just the obvious. <laughs> I believe a lot of people commit suicide because they're a child of God and they don't know why they're miserable. Right. They just know they are. Right. Oh, and how they need to know the truth. Amen. And know that they are welcome to worship with other sinners mm -hmm. whose hope is in the grace of God. Amen. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. Now, look at Mark chapter 10. Now, we've talked about so far, primarily, what we need to avoid that would prevent us from enjoying the abundant life. Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. You know, when I was up here at the church yesterday, and there were several other brethren up here, you know, it was a, such a pretty day like today. Mm -hmm. And, you know, normally at the office, you know, there's no windows in my office. You know, it, it, maybe I just have an extra appreciation when I'm outside on a pretty day. But, you know, there, do you have those few experiences where you say, man, I just wish I could feel like this all the time. Amen. I wish that happened more often. I can remember well before I moved here and I spent the night at Brother Chris's house that I was preaching up at Meadow Branch. And I remember driving up that morning and I said, Lord, why can't I feel like this all the time? You know, we, it doesn't seem like we can control it in some ways. I know the principle of sowing and reaping is always true, but at the same time, we don't control God. Right. We don't dictate to Him how things are going to be. But you know, I thought about this. I thought about when I was up here. I said, wouldn't it be great if all I had to do every day was come up here to this new building Amen. and walk around and pray and meditate on the Scriptures and go outside? Wouldn't that be great yes. if you could have a life like that? Yes. You know, and there are blessings 
when we're able to give more of our time to the ministry. Yeah. And that's another subject, but all of us benefit when we are able to focus more on the kingdom of God. That's right. In Mark chapter 10, I love the lesson here. Verse 28. Then Peter began to say unto him, unto Jesus, Lo, we have left all and have followed thee. And Jesus answered and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, there is no man that hath left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels. But he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the world to come eternal life. Now this is not teaching that to be a member of the church you've got to abandon your family. That's not what it's saying. It's saying that if any person, any relative, if there's any people in your life that, that despise you pursuing the kingdom of God, then you aren't to leave them. Jesus said, if any man uh, come unto me and hate not his father and mother and he lists all his relatives, he says he's not worthy of me. That doesn't mean that, that you're cruel to them. That's not what he's talking about. But he's talking about you're to love me and pursue the things of my kingdom at all costs. You know, those of us that have family, if our natural family is part of our church family, that's the ideal. But I know there are some sitting here today that that is not the case. But notice what the Scriptures say to you. There's no man. In other words, Jesus says this has never happened. There's never been one that if left family members, relatives, friends, that has not received, listen, an hundredfold now in this time. Amen. Listen to that. Yeah. A hundredfold now in this time. You know, there, there are people I know all over the United States that I could call them up and say I'm broke down and they would say, well, come on to our house. We'll come get you and you can spend the night with us. See, there's a spiritual family, and I don't have time to get to this today, but if you, if you compromise the gospel, if you start saying salvation's by work, this spirit that we enjoy will leave. Amen. Galatians chapter 3 teaches that so uh, clearly. Paul said, receive ye the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. You know what that means? He, and that's not talking about the new birth, and that's what I started to preach on today, but then this came to my mind. But Anyway, Paul says there in Galatians chapter 3, you read that. He says several times he refers to uh, the hearing of faith and he refers to the Spirit, capital S, that you receive. Here's what that's saying. And I've always wanted the answer to this and I finally got the answer to it. Why is it that you feel something among primitive Baptists you don't feel other places? Here's why. Because the hearing of faith... Through that, you receive the Spirit. Amen. That's not the new birth, right. but it's important. Amen. 
He said, how did you get this spirit of fellowship? How did you get this spirit of joy? How did you get this spirit of closeness? Was it through keeping the law? Was it saying you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to do this to be saved? Or was it through the hearing of faith? And that just simply means hearing the preaching of salvation by grace and believing it. You didn't receive the spirit even by having faith in your faith. You received the spirit by placing your faith in Jesus. You understand the the division I'm making here. You didn't get born again by putting your faith in Jesus. You didn't get eternal life by putting your faith in Jesus. But you got the Spirit in the sense of what Paul is talking about here in Galatians chapter 3, which is set in contrast to those that have fallen away from the gospel. He describes them as fallen from grace, and they've embraced another gospel. He went on to say, having begun in the Spirit, you now made perfect in the flesh. You know, here at Zion Church, during the season of renewal, we began in the Spirit, didn't we? Yes, sir. But if we get away from salvation by grace and try to be perfect in the flesh, if some brethren comes in and says, Y'all, I believe you got to do something to go to heaven. You know, I'm gonna say there's the door. That's right. If you got you got to do something out of heaven, because you know what people say, well, we don't need to be so intolerant. I'd rather lose a person than the spirit, wouldn't you? I'd rather lose someone, and not that I want to lose them, not that I want to do them harm. I hope they'd get the spirit in the sense of this text. And this is not some charismatic worship service at all. Amen. I like what old elder. R.A. Tyndall said one time, he's dead. He said, when you get the Spirit, you don't go crazy. You have good sense for the first time in your life. Isn't that true? When you understand the truth and you feel the Spirit, that brings calmness. It doesn't make you want to jump pews and new cartwheels down the aisle. It gives you calmness with God. A peaceful mind. You know, the times, I've told you about the time that I asked Brother Austin to lead 10,000 Reasons, and I sat right there and felt so close to the Lord. That didn't make me want to jump around and go crazy. It wanted me to just be calm and enjoy that. You know, there's that account where it says the Lord wasn't in the whirlwind, and He wasn't in this, and He named several things that are, are obvious to the natural eye that you, you detect very easily. But the Lord wasn't in any of that. What was He in? He was in the still, small voice. And that's the way it is today. When you face disappointment and loss and tragedy, that's what I want. That still, small voice. That man that wrote the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, wrote that after the loss of his wife and his children at sea. And it's interesting that he started the hymn by saying, when peace like a river, uh, or he goes on and he says, when, uh, when sorrows like sea billows roll, when sorrows like sea billows roll. And then he goes on to say, it is well with my soul. 
We sorrow, don't we? Paul acknowledged that. He says, we sorrow. But he says, not not as others which have no hope. We don't view it as a permanent end. We're not like others that have no hope. We have hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. He says, not only will you have a hundredfold in this time houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands, but also in the world to come eternal life. Did you notice he left off two of the things that we give up in the verse that talks about we'll receive a hundredfold more? Right. He left off father and wife. That's right. <laughs> First of all, God's our father. Amen. I believe that's the point with that. That's right. And he, he doesn't say wives, not as an insult to the wife, but you know, the, the theme of the Bible is that it's better not to marry. Yeah. See, Paul says, I'm, the reason I didn't marry is because he could give himself wholly to the Lord. And he said, that's good if you do that. But he said, not all men can receive this saying. And he devotes a whole chapter there in 1 Corinthians 7 to that. But the point is, he's saying you're going to receive everything you need a hundredfold more that will benefit you in the kingdom of God. Amen. Now look finally at Psalm 49. Psalm 49. And the best way to describe how I feel is, you know, have you ever thrown a smooth stone across the lake and it just skips, you know, like that, and it finally sinks. I feel like that's what I'm doing. I'm just skipping, getting a little bit of each thing. And I, I would love to go through all of this verse by verse. But in Psalm 49, uh, verse 6, it says, They that trust in their wealth and boast themselves in the multitude of their riches. Now go down to verse 11. Their inward thought, that's who he's referring back to, their inward thought is that their houses shall continue forever and their dwelling places to all generations. They call their lands after their own names. Now you remember when I said earlier that I felt like I finally understood why it is, and I just used a politician for an example. I know there are a few good God-fearing men, and I would there were more in those places, but you know, that's just a public example that we all see. The reason a man can be, you know, in, in his in the in, near the end of his life and still focusing on self and ungodliness and getting getting power and prestige in this world is because this verse says that their inward thought is this. In other words, it's wrong for me to say, well, I don't think that way. Why do they think that way? There's a reason why they don't think that way. We're not supposed to be thinking that way. But that's the way man thinks by nature. Their inward thought is that their houses shall continue forever and their dwelling places to all generations, they call their lands after their own names. Now, not only 
do they think they're going to live forever, but they think they're going to continue to all generations. Verse 12, Nevertheless, man being in honor abideth not. He is like the beasts that perish. You know, Solomon talked about in Ecclesiastes, it doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter who you are, what you are. They all go to one place. That's talking about, that's focusing on the natural realm, not the eternal spiritual realm. That's what Solomon is focused on. He says they're all going to the grave. That's it. You think about some of the most powerful, wicked men in this world. Where's Adolf Hitler at? You know, I heard someone say, and I'm not for sure this is true, but that he said that his empire would endure for, and I don't know if he said hundreds of years or thousands of years, but man, he was boasting about how his empire was going to endure. How long did it endure? Just a few short years. He says, Nevertheless, man being in honor abideth not. He is like the beast that perish. This their way is their folly. Yet their posterity approve their sayings. The same mistake just keeps getting repeated. You know, that, that's another thing that blows my mind is when some ungodly person who's on up in years and they're still focused on power and prestige and one of their, their, uh, one of their, uh, their contemporaries who thinks like they do die, it still doesn't affect them. You know, Solomon said it's better to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting. You know why? That's the end of every man. I don't like going to the funeral home. I don't like looking at that body. But you know, it's better than going to a party because that's reality as real as it can get. This is the end of all men. Verse 14, he says, Like sheep, they are laid in the grave. Death shall feed on them, and the upright shall have dominion over them in the morning, and their beauty shall consume in the grave from their dwelling. Verse 16, Be not thou afraid when one is made rich, when the glory of his house is increased. For when he dieth, he shall carry nothing away. Sounds like something in the New Testament, doesn't it? Where Paul said, I believe in, uh, where Paul said, uh, we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out. You know, it sounds like that's putting stronger emphasis on the fact that you're not going to carry anything out than it is that you brought nothing in. Now, is there any doubt that you didn't bring anything in? What did you have when you were born? Nothing. As soon as you were born, somebody had to give you something. They had to put something on you. There's nobody here that would question that. But Paul says it's certain as if it might be possible that somebody would come in the world with something. But he says it's certain that we can carry nothing out. Be not afraid when one is made rich, when the glory of his house is increased. For when he dieth, he shall carry nothing away. His glory shall not descend after him. Listen to this now. Though while he lived, he blessed his soul. That brings it to my mind again. Look at a politician on up in years who's been corrupt 
and ungodly, and yet he's still blessing his soul. He's not convicted. He's not, con- he's not worried. It doesn't matter how old he is. He, as long as he is in control and has power and influence and riches, that's all he thinks about. See, you and I think about how empty our soul would be if that was us. Yes. But he doesn't think that way. Because he has no soul, probably. I'm glad the Lord knoweth them that are his. Amen. And I know there's some of his that you can't tell they're his. Right. Then he says, He blesseth his soul, and men will praise thee when thou doest well to thyself. Solomon said, Wealth maketh many friends. If you win the lottery, you're going to have a lot of friends. And you're going to have people calling you on the phone that can manage your money better than anybody else and get you a greater rate of return. You're going to have more friends than you can handle if you get wealth. Wealth maketh many friends. He shall go, referring to the man that blesses his soul, he shall go to the generation of his fathers. They shall never see light. Man that is in honor and understandeth not is like the beasts that perish. Now, I don't want people to think I'm insane. But, you know, sometimes when I'm sitting out on the porch and the cat's come up, I think, they're not worried about death. You know, an animal doesn't worry about death. It's not in his capability to worry about death. And it says here, man that is in honor and understandeth not. This is not saying it's wrong to be in a position of honor. But man that is in honor and understandeth not is like the beasts that perish. He's happy all the way to the end. He's not affected by anything outwardly. He's just like the beast that perishes. There is an abundant life that I, that I fall so short of enjoying like I could. But it's still just as much available as it has ever been for any child of God. What Elijah had is available to you. What Noah had is available to you. All of those that saw the mighty works of God, that's still available to God's children today. And James said it this way. He said, uh, the Lord said through James, draw nigh unto me, and I will draw nigh unto you. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.